Well, hey everyone, this is Cameron uh, back in my office here. I am trying a new configuration uh, now shooting from the other side of my desk. I don't, I don't know what's going to stick if anything, but we'll keep, we'll keep trying stuff. Um, but it's really good to be with you uh, as Vivian read for us. We're going to be in the book of first John chapter two, uh, 12 through 14. And I just wanted to note like, um, if you're like me, uh, th these first few, the first chapter and some change of the book of first John, uh, could be a little bit, um, discouraging. Uh, what, what, what he's put forward is essentially a series of, of tests. Um, some, some commentators even refer to them that way as, as a series of tests of faithfulness or tests of obedience or whatever else. Uh, but, but essentially offering up some metrics by which his readers can evaluate is someone's claim to be a follower of Jesus legitimate or not. And so he said things like, if we walk in darkness, or, or if we say we have no sin, or if we don't keep his commandments, which Josh, Josh walked us through a couple weeks ago, or last week, if we hate our brother. All of these things being held up as evidence of, of, of a lack of sincerity. And so, um, yeah, again, if you're like me, this can feel really exhausting or, or confusing or, or disheartening. Um, and it's always a good thing for us to evaluate ourselves and put ourselves under the microscope. But I, I, I believe that John must have felt this as he was writing this letter because uh, he now comes to this section, these three verses which contain just this beautiful little poetic, um, very different section from what came before or what came after, um, where he's, he's, he's trying to provide a sense of encouragement. Um, he wants his readers to know, uh, the, the ones he has in mind as he writes this, to know that he sees them as people of authentic faith and authentic discipleship to Jesus. And, uh, and it's meant to be encouraging. And so um, remember, the, the background of, of this book is that we, hadn't, we haven't talked about it in a couple weeks, but there was a group of teachers who uh, were distorting the true gospel that John had given to this community. Um, they were claiming some kind of special insider knowledge. They were uh, challenging things that were really bread and butter, bedrock stuff about who Jesus was. Uh, how he offers salvation and so forth. And so John's writing to both encourage those who are, who are kind of living in the stream of faith that he handed down to them and to rebuke those who were coming up with something that departed from that. And so uh, that's constantly in the background of this letter. But now he's going to turn to those who are, who are in his stream, who, who have held on to the faith as he taught it. Uh, and he wants to offer encouragement. And I don't know who needs encouragement specifically right now. I'm guessing, I'm guessing most of us. Um, but I don't know. Maybe you're a person listening to this right now, a person of color, who feels just exhausted and and even afraid of the antagonism you've seen maybe toward yourself personally or toward those like you out in the world. Maybe you're anxious uh, as you've been trying to learn and to understand and to sort out how to respond to injustice around you, as that's just an inescapable conversation right now. Maybe you're feeling crushed under the economic weight of COVID-19. Maybe you've lost work. Maybe you know people who've, who are really struggling financially uh, because of the shutdowns and so forth. Um, maybe you're just reeling 
from the relative isolation that so many of us have been in as we're not able to do community even now in phase one uh, the way that so many of us would would like to where it's safe to do so or maybe you're like some of john's readers maybe you're struggling to make sense of of the gospel and what you think about jesus what he thinks about you in light of the endless voices that are kind of swirling around you maybe you're unsure of your standing with god there are a million other things that could cause anxiety or, or could, could, could cause you to need encouragement, especially right now. Um, but I hope that these three short verses of, of encouragement will hit you the way that, that, that they must have hit John's audience when they read them for the first time. Uh, I'd imagine it was really powerful to get to this, like a, a drink of water in the desert in the middle of this letter. Uh, I hope it'll hit you that way if, if, if you're one who is trusted in Christ. Um. The, the, there's a question we need to an, answer, though, first to tee this thing up, and that is, who is John writing to? Um, as we read, as Vivian read the passage for us, you note that he he talks to three different groups. He talks to little children, which is a, a dress that he likes to use. We've talked about that before. It's this really endearing term. But he talks about little children. He talks about fathers, and then he talks about young men, and then he repeats those addresses a second time. So who is he talking about? And there's scholars put forward different um, different views on this. Uh, some some view these as like stages of spiritual maturity or just physical groups. Some view the little children as a general address to everyone in the community, but then young men and fathers are kind of age specific groups. Um, but I, I I'm, the more I've studied this, the more I'm convinced that he's not trying to draw a sharp distinction between. Uh, what he commends them for. Really, the things that he commends are things that should be true of any believer. And so by, by dividing these groups up, he's really trying to trying to address the whole community, if that makes sense. And I, I, I'm inclined to agree with him. I don't think we're meant to sort of parse out specifically these commendations for different age groups. I, I think another important thing to note is that he uses uh, besides the little children, he uses these masculine terms of, of young men and father here. And another question we might ask is, does he intend for this encouragement to only be for men? Um, and I, once again, agree with, with the scholars who, and most scholars who maintain that, no, that, like, John is operating in, in Jewish custom uh, here that, that's to address adults widely with titles like brother, uh, and so forth, to use masculine terminology when addressing the crowds, but that he would, most would say he, he would not be trying to draw a sharp delineation that, that he's only specifically referring to men with these encouragements. I, I think very, very strongly that this is meant to be an encouragement to any and every believer, men, women, old and young. My point is, whoever you are, if you are in Christ, uh, this encouragement is for you, is for you. Um, so let's look specifically at what he says, and we're, we're going to try to be, be concise and tight here. But he, he offers up a handful of encouragements to, to, to his readers um, that, that are for anyone who has, what's he already said before in the letter about, um, about what it means to, to sincerely be with Christ. And he, he talks about those who have confessed their sins and found him to be just and forgiving. Um, it's those who have, who have trusted, trusted the advocate, the one who, who, who advocates on our behalf, Jesus, who is the atoning sacrifice or the propitiation for our sins. 
So if those things are true, then this encouragement is for you. Okay. So what does he say? Well, we're going to kind of take them in turn. He, he, he repeats a couple of them and we're just going to kind of split them out. We've already read the passage. We're going to kind of split them out and just look at them one at a time. Some of them, which get repeated, but we'll just look at each one. The very first thing he says, this is the one we're going to spend the most time on is that he says, I am writing to you little children because, or, or, or probably better. This could be interpreted that I'm, I'm writing to you little children that your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Hear this. If you are in Christ, if you have trusted him for your salvation, if you've bent the knee to King Jesus, as it were, what it means is that through Jesus, we have been forgiven by the God of the universe. The very one who establishes the absolute definitions of good and evil, of right and wrong, of and who holds up the good, the beautiful, and the true. And as a side note, did, did, were we to have no God who did that, were we to be in an atheistic or materialistic universe, we would have no definitions of, of good and evil. We'd, we'd merely have competing subjective opinions on what the good and evil might be. Um, but no, we, we believe we have a lawgiver with a perfect good law. Um, and we're forgiven by him. And it's not that we're forgiven because he can't see our sin very clearly or he's sort of fuzzy on the details, but but uh, the one who sees our every failing in exact detail from a vantage point of perfect, unbiased, righteous judgment forgives you. Forgives you. He forgives the seemingly insignificant sort of minor sin of your life. And he forgives the deepest, darkest, ugliest thing that you've never had the guts to confess or share to anyone else. He forgives it. Um, and uh, we have to note, a Christian view of forgiveness or of, of grace, of unmerited favor, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's a little bit under attack right now from some. Um, and it always is in every age. It, it looks a little different and the reasons are uh, always a little bit uh, unique to their time. But, but grace is always under attack from some. Uh, and, and the reasons many assume that, that the giving of forgiveness or grace or love to the sinner, to the violator, to the perpetrator, only serves to entitle them to more sin. Um, or to excuse them from having to deal with the consequences of their actions, either for themselves or for those they've sinned against. Um, a lot of people are, are be seemingly being to hold this view that, that to forgive is to perpetuate injustice. Um, and that's kind of where we see the rise of, of things like online canceling of one another, where you're sort of People can be sort of banished from polite society, seemingly never to be invited back in uh, for things they've done today or for things they've done years ago. Um, often responding to very real uh, sin and very real problems and issues. Uh, but but the, the answer seems to be banishment rather than some sort of restorative uh, grace and forgiveness. Um, so the idea is that grace, as we understand it, would perpetuate injustice. And no doubt, we do have to say 
that has been, currently is, and, and will be the case at times. Um, we've talked about this at Door of Hope repeatedly. Sometimes grace does become cheap. Sometimes grace does devolve into license to sin. Uh, sometimes things happen. Uh, like when Paul, saw, Paul himself, the Apostle Paul saw this possibility, Romans 6.1. He, he knew some would assume that they could, quote, go on sinning so that grace may increase. And he shot it down immediately. He said, may it never be. But the, the Christian vision of forgiveness is that if we're forgiven by him, so many beautiful things can, can follow. Number one, if we're forgiven, it's, it's not that we get to hide our sin, but we are free to confess our sin. We're free to be rebuked by others and to accept it. We no longer have to hide it for fear of it being exposed because we know we're secure with the one relationship that matters more than any other one, our relationship to God, the father. So we can confess if we're forgiven. Ironically, we can confess boldly, repeatedly with nothing to hide. A second thing is, uh, if we're forgiven, we are emboldened to repent. Uh, by the power of the Spirit, we, we can actually turn towards change in repentance. Uh, we, have, we have the encouragement and the empowerment of the Spirit of God to live differently, to make amends, to work for justice, to work for peace. Uh, our forgiveness doesn't let us be s- sit satisfied in sin. It pushes us towards newness of life. It pushes us towards Christ-likeness. It, it pushes us toward change. And then third, if, if we're forgiven by him, we're able to forgive others. Like Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. When we have legitimately tasted the power of forgiveness, and that requires knowing that we're sinners in the depth of our sin, but that Christ, God in Christ has forgiven us nonetheless. When we've tasted that power, and because we know that God will deal justly with those who have sinned against us as well, we are able to diffuse the escalating cycle of retribution. Um, we are able to forgive others and thus not heap injustice back on those who, who throw injustice upon us. Um, this is powerful, powerful stuff. And it just, the, the example that came to mind for me was, I'm sure most of you remember, uh, the mass shooting that happened June 17th, 2015, Charleston, South Carolina, at the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, it's one of the oldest black churches in the U.S. And uh, a mass shooter named Dylan Roof came in for ostensibly to join a prayer meeting and ended up killing nine worshipers there, including the pastor. Uh, Clementa Pink- Pinckney, Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, Susie Jackson, Ethel Lee Lance, Depayne Middleton Doctor, Tywanza Sanders, Daniel L. Simmons, Sharonda Coleman Singleton, and Myra Thompson. And the shooter, Dylan Roof, he, he, his goal was to incite a race war. His hope was that there would be retaliation and, and a, a war between uh, black and white Americans. 
that the white Americans would ultimately win. Incredibly disturbing. Uh, but what happened as a result was just the opposite. You've, I'm sure you've heard the story, but two days later at, at the bond hearing, um, representatives from uh, of the families, usually the, the children, family members of those who were killed, they were given a chance to speak to Dylan Roof. Uh, and unanimously, each of them stood and they expressed forgiveness. And they expressed hope that, that he would turn in faith and repentance to Jesus. That he would confess his sin. That he would express faith and he would repent. And they said they were praying for him. It's one, it was one of the most radical pictures of, of, of grace and forgiveness that, that's made it into our pop culture in some time. Um, it's the power of the gospel. And it's, it's a picture as well of what's been done for us by God himself in Christ. Um, and note that their, their forgiveness wasn't tied with releasing him from, from his sentence or anything like that. It wasn't at the expense of pursuing justice. But it was something that superseded and transcended our earthly justice. It was beautiful. Forgiveness feels scandalous right now, but we need it because we're sinful and we're partner to sin and evil and injustice in the world. And if God were not gracious and forgiving toward us, we'd have no hope. So, so Christian, to you, John says, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. He goes on, John goes on. And we'll do these a little bit more quickly. He says uh, as well that you know him who is from the beginning. He says, fathers, I'm, I write to you fathers that you know him who is from the beginning. Jesus himself, the one who was present with God, the word of God that was God and was with God at creation, the eternal son, uh, the one who incarnated himself in human flesh, you know him. John wants you to have confidence that you know him. You know the one who is from the beginning. He says as well, twice, you have overcome the evil one. There is an adversary in the world. Now, there, is, there is an evil one. There is a Satan. There is opposition to God and his kingdom purposes. And he, his, his goal is to steal and kill and destroy and lie, take as many away from God's kingdom as possible. Um, he's an enemy in the truest sense of the word. But John writes to his, his readers and to you, if you're in Christ, that you have overcome the evil one. It's, it's, it's victory language. It's victory language. It's, believer, it's the believer's victory over the evil one because God himself abides in them. 
Colin Cruz said, and his son, Jesus Christ, protects them. As a result, they're able to overcome the evil one through their faith in God. If you're in Christ, you have overcome the evil one. It says, I write to you, children, that you know the Father. So not only do you know the second person of the Trinity, the Son, the one who's from the beginning, but you know God, the Father, the first person of the Trinity. As Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. He wants you to know that's, that's true. You know him. Intimacy with the Father. And then we get a couple more unique statements in this last verse. Uh, he says, we've already talked about the very last phrase, you've overcome the evil one, but he says, young men, because you, I write to you, because or that, you are strong and the word of God abides in you. What an encouragement to, to, to say that in Christ, the word of God is in you. His commands are in you. His truths are in you. His speech is in you. His heart is in you. And that you have strength. That you can have confidence that you're not going to be blown to and fro by the winds. But that he is able to make you stand firm. He's able to make you survive. He's able to make you flourish even. Regardless of what happens in this world, he is your strength and he's supplied it to you and he will supply it to you. And those are the statements. Those are the encouragements. Uh, if you are in Christ, if you've trusted him, if you've believed in your heart and confessed with your lips that Jesus is Lord, these things are true of you. So I just want to end there. And maybe I'd like to read through the passage one more time. Uh, and this might be, this might feel a little hokey, but I, I just, I want to, I want to read it. And I, I'd ask you to close your eyes right now, uh, whether you're at one of our house churches right now, or if you're just alone listening to this on your podcast or uh, at your computer, watching the video, whatever. I, I want you to close your eyes and I want you to kind of tune your heart in and, and, and put yourself, if you are a follower of Jesus, and if, if you've trusted him for your salvation, I want you to try to sit and receive what I'm about to read as I just read this passage as, as true for you and as a commendation of, of all these beautiful encouragements to you specifically. Are you ready? Okay. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Praise God for that reality.